Welcome to an extra awesome-tastic episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Quick business first, uh, DC, Northampton, your Nerdist Podcast live dates have been rescheduled. Northampton on November 30th and DC at the 930 Club on January 6th. If you've already purchased tickets, then those tickets will be good for either one of those shows in the city that you bought them in. Uh, And if you haven't yet, then you still have a little bit of time to get them. Go to Nerdist.com and click on the Live tab at the top to find out more details about coming to those shows. Myself, Matt, and Jonah will be there to uh, perform live, record the episode for the week, and to give you hugs. Hugs! Hugs. Oh, yeah, hugs. No, but really just hugs. I'll be coming back to Portland November 9th. I'm going to Pals. I'm going to read an excerpt from The Nerdist Way and then answer questions and say hi to people and high-five some folks and sign some books. They don't even have to be my books. Shit, I'll sign anything. That's Wednesday, November 9th at the Pals downtown on Burnside Street at 7.30 p.m. And please tune into the Conan O'Brien Show on TBS Thursday, November 10th. I'll be a guest on the show. Not that you shouldn't watch the show all the time anyway, but... And if you care, I will be on the couch talking about stuff and things. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Are your computer files backed up right now? Are they backed up? Are they backed up? Are they backed up? Because uh, if not, and your computer crashes, or you hear the clicking, spinning disc of death, then um, you're going to want to hit someone in the face. And the minimum that you should do in life is not hit people in the face. Carbonite will keep you from hitting people in the face by storing all of your files online. You have access to them from any computer with an internet connection. Also, there's an app for your smartphone or for your iPad. Unlimited backup is just $59 a year. And then when disaster strikes, you got your files. And you don't have to hit people. So start your free trial today at Carbonite.com. Use the offer code NERDIST and you'll get two bonus months if you decide to buy. That's Carbonite.com. Use the offer code NERDIST. And now this incredible episode. um, I have long wanted to get Neil deGrasse Tyson on the NERDIST podcast. And finally, uh, my good friend Eugene Merman hooked us up. Eugene is a regular uh, co-host on Star Talk Radio, which is a phenomenal show that you should check out. It's on iTunes, you can Star Talk Radio, or go to StarTalkRadio.net. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is a brilliant astrophysicist. He's director of the Hayden Planetarium, and he's also a research associate in the Department of Astrophysics at the American Museum of Natural History. But beyond that, he is a likable, super funny guy. So he's the perfect meld of brilliant scientists and super personable and very relatable. And um, Myra and I are big fans. I was in New York uh, last week doing some press for the book, and, and Matt Myra came out just for like 10 hours just to do this podcast with Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's how much of a fan he is. So probably the best part was that then we got to stick around and co-host Star Talk Radio with Dr. Tyson as well. So this is a, a huge day for checking off boxes on the nerd bucket list. That episode of Star Talk will go up November 13th, and you can access it by going to StarTalkRadio.net or going to iTunes and searching Star Talk. That episode is appropriately titled Time Lords, and it's all about the science of keeping time. But that's in the future, and this is the present, and the present is the Nerdist Podcast episode number 139 with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Now entering Nerdist.com. That's it. 
He's correct. <laughs> Thank you. The, uh, this is a nerd show. Isn't the it? reel-to-reels have been activated. <laughs> uh, we are recording. That's uh, happening. Okay. I'm getting the high sign. That we're uh, Very odd. Yes, it's the Nerdist Podcast. This is the most official intro we've ever actually had for the for the program. Yeah. Uh, we're in New York. Uh, we are recording uh, just off Central Park West. Neil deGrasse Tyson is in the Yay. studio. And Neil, I, Dr. Tyson, Neil. Uh, well, thank you for that one-person sitting ovation. <laughs> There's not enough room in this closet we're recording to stand up for an ovation. It is a it is a uh, spiritual ovation. Well, I feel it. I feel the love. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm very excited to have you on, and Matt also I'm more excited. Probably Matt is so excited to have you on. Matt actually I literally flew out just for this. Flew out, got in this morning. He's he flying back this afternoon. Sound just for excited. You. He's, oh, hang on. Okay, <laughs> it's happening. You're gonna get. Uh, you're you're gonna up. Inside. You're gonna get hot jets and nerd. Uh, no, when we first, across. when Chris and I sat down, and we're talking about the podcast. We're like, "Who do you want to have on?" And I was like, "Neil deGrasse Tyson." At some point, and that was like 140 episodes ago. Oh, okay. And we finally, we finally worked it out. Yep. Good job. That means this moment is at some point. It is indeed, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> indeed. This also means that because this is being met in Matt's life, it's very downhill from him after his. <laughs> yeah. No. So this is all downhill from here. Got nothing. This is what we would refer to as a zenith of moments. I'm dying tomorrow. <laughs> So does but you can do it happily. My appearance on your show, does that mean I can totally nerd out on the show? Absolutely. Um, yes, yes. If you if you are able to stretch your stretch your nerd wings as much as possible, I assume you will be able to out-nerd us. Um, I, I don't know. You are of uh, superior intellect, uh, and I'm I'm a little intimidated. But It's not intellect. It's nerditude that's matter, that matters <laughs> nerd, here. Nerditude. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so you know, I, I know you've been. Uh, I know you were uh, interested in astrophysics, like going back to a, a young teenage, a teenage boy. But a lot of no, I was nine. Okay, Just get it straight. The Skyview Apartments. <laughs> Thank on. you. Somebody did his homework. I grew up in the Skyview Apartments the, in the, the Bronx. All right. Well, you just glossed over that. I would have been creeped out if someone knew where I lived when I was nine years old. <laughs> but if he hadn't put it in a book, then he could have been creeped out. <laughs> <laughs> but you remember, he didn't you, want anyone to. I suck it up like a sponge. But every kid when they're nine or ten says, "Oh, I want to be an astronaut. I love the stars. I, I you know, we that. we look to the stars." And then so, what what was it about you? What what was it about it specifically for you? Where you said, nah, I'm sticking with it. Like, how did you not reject that in your teen years? I was, I was, I'm old enough so that back then it was the Apollo era. So anyone who mentioned science, it was assumed the Apollo astronauts were, were what was influencing you. But I knew that, that NASA mostly was just going into low Earth orbit, a couple mm-hmm. hundred miles above Earth. And then when they go far, they go to the moon. But I knew enough about the cosmos to know. That the moon isn't going in. <laughs> the moon is <laughs> the nearest possible cosmic object. Right. And I was interested in black holes and galaxies and the Big Bang and the fate of the cosmos. And so uh, my interest was not space exploration driven. It was an, it was a journey of the mind, mm-hmm. not of hardware. In other words, in, I mean the idea of the, the, inf- the universe as, as an expanding model or, or just as a static model? No, no. Or? The data has always shown that we're expanding on a one-way trip forever. Just get over that fact, okay. first of all. We're not coming back. It's a one-way trip. But I knew that. And just the large-scale universe is what, what, what titillated me, not astronauts in orbit around the Earth. Okay. Pure. So it was the pure science of understanding how the universe works, not whether I can be strapped to a capsule and sent somewhere between here and the moon. How do we how how do you conceptualize the universe? Like how do you because uh, you know we don't have a lot of reference on Earth. I think that really 
can explain like what direction it's expanding how like is it even yeah, he, is it three four dimensions five like you're how, asking an important even philosophical almost metaphysical questions let me re- reword it in a, please, in a slightly please, different please, way please. if i want to tell you how big the universe is if I want to tell you how big anything is, I'll say, oh, that apple is the size of a softball mm-hmm. or that house is the size of something else. There's always some other thing that you're familiar with that I'm analogizing to. Sure. Now you're going to ask me how big is the universe. I'm going to say, oh, it's as big as, and I've got nothing to refer to. Mm-hmm. So there comes a time and a point where in discussing cosmic subjects, the thing itself has to be your referent. And therein is the challenge of most people to grasp these concepts. Sure. No, I understand. I, I, year, years ago, I read this book called The God Particle by Leon Letterman, which was uh, you know, all about the search for the Higgs boson mm-hmm. in the early 1990s. And you I, have Higgs boson literate listeners? <laughs> cool. We do, actually. Yeah. Well, I got I to gotta do a Higgs boson. We'll, do, we'll talk. Oh, we'll I'm go te- there. I'm telling you, people who come to our live shows, are, you know, they say, uh, you know, there's a lot of graphic artists. There's also a lot of engineers. There's a lot of, there's a lot of med students. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of young scientists who listen to the podcast. Cool. Cool. Uh, because we make, we talk about science, but then make boner jokes, too. So it's like we cover both. <laughs> we try to bridge science and humanity with boners and farts. So hopefully that's, that's the sweet spot of where we're at. It's just mostly boner. <laughs> Our show is mostly both. But what you're saying is that the topic uh, stimulates your anatomy well, in curious it, ways. Exactly. Uh, and maybe <laughs> that's there, another way to consider these two factors. And maybe therein lies the God particle. But, uh, <laughs> but ultimately, I, uh, I, you know, but when I'm reading this book about quarks and subatomic particles and I have nothing to, re- you know, like the concept of it is, I ke- like you said, I kept having to stop because like, well, I don't know what to compare that to. Here, here's, a, here's an interesting fact. The electron is smaller than our smallest capacity to measure anything. So as far as our data are concerned, the electron is simply a mathematical point in space. Right. We have no idea how small an electron actually is, and it may have zero volume for all we know. Wow. So that's another limit of from large down to something that's so small, we can't tell you how small it is. I'm, I'm also curious about um, uh, 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 t- our, our three-dimensional world, and then, but then the idea of the Minkowski space, and then adding that layer of time. I love higher dimensions, because that just messes with your head. I just, <laughs> it does. I just so love it. Can I give you a quick nerdy please, thing? Please, please, please. No, just to just mess with you. Sure. Just something that, so you don't go to sleep on time tonight. So <laughs> if you look at a, a line segment, mm-hmm. right, it's bounded by two points. That's what the ends of a line. Sure. So a line segment is one dimension. Mm-hmm. The two points are zero dimensions. Yes. Right? Look at a square. A square is two dimensions bounded by one dimensions. Okay. Okay. Each side is a one-dimensional right. line segment. Okay. Okay. You got that? So in other words, we had a one-dimensional line bounded by two zero-dimensional points. Gotcha. We have a two-dimensional s- square yes. bounded by four one-dimensional lines. Okay. Now we have a cube... A three-dimensional cube yep. bounded by six two-dimensional sides. Okay. You with me so far? We're throwing some z-axis in that Okay. We got it. So now let's go to four dimensions. Okay. A four-dimensional cube. Guys, I can't go to four dimensions. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Man, go my to four dimensions. said I can't go to <laughs> your, four dimensions. Your engines can take it. It's okay, man. It's cool. All the cool kids are going to four dimensions, <laughs> okay. Matt. So let me know when to pull up. So just remember these boundaries. The, the line had... Uh, Two boundaries, each zero dimensions. Yes. The square has four boundaries, each two, di- each one dimension. Yes. The cube has six boundaries, each two dimension. Got it. The four-dimensional cube has eight boundaries, and each boundary is itself a three-dimensional cube. Oh my God! Oh, 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 <laughs> that oh. is so 
Oh, cool. Uh, a side. We're not even smoking weed. <laughs> a side of this physical object yes. is a three-dimensional cube. That's, that's one of the boundaries of it. That uh, that's that's difficult to wrap the brain around. Well, that's, that's my so, nose just started bleeding. <laughs> so, so so higher dimensionality takes you takes you to new places, and you realize how much of a prisoner we are of the three dimensions in which our sight and senses have uh, have evolved. We are feeble data takers on the, what's really going on in the universe, and I, and I lament this daily. That's why I celebrate all the methods and tools that science has brought to bear to decode the universe. They, they, suppl- they completely supplant our five senses, which themselves just leave them at the door and embrace all the machines because they're the ones that knows really what's going on. If we lived in a two-dimensional world, would we know that? That's what the four-dimensional people are asking of us right now. Do they those, know they're only in three dimensions? Oh, those smarmy 4D pricks. Those 4D, they're so... How dare they? They're so snooty about their privileged they place. They think they know everything with their three-dimensional boundaries. They look at prisoners in a prison cell and say, just step out into a fourth dimension and you escape. Guys, what the seriously? hell is wrong with you? I bet 3D TV gives them a headache, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that pile of shit that is 3D TV gives them... So you draw a, a, a pen around... An ant, let's say, you embed an ant in a sheet of paper and draw a square around it. That's I'm a prison. Doing it now. That's a prison to an ant. Okay. Because an true. ant can't just jump out of the page. It's embedded in the page. Right. So a square is a prison to an ant. Yes. A a a cube on all you know walls on all sides is a prison to a human, mm-hmm. but not to a four dimensional creature because they would just step out. If you wanted to imprison a four dimensional creature, you'd have to bound them on in four dimensions, not only three. Is time that fourth dimension? For us, it's a fourth dimension, but you can imagine another spatial dimension. As I was describing my sure. ascent of the cubes, going going in out That'd be in a way. That's a great sci-fi <laughs> I'm, I'm title. Enjoying it. I'm enjoying the it. Ascent the ascent of the, the cubes. The ascent of the cubes. <laughs> I, it doesn't, you know what? It doesn't even matter what it is. The, just, you just you have the title. You have some sort of an airbrushed uh, sexy kind of, alien on the cover. That's kind of what happened in Star Trek with the Borg. The ascent of they the just cube. had a Borg cube. Is that is that all yeah, it was? The cube came, and then it could have been it. called the ascent of the cubes. That's what I'm saying. Well, why didn't they? I don't know. All right, they weren't thinking outside of the cube. We'll get we'll get Lindelof on that. We'll get Lindelof on that. Who's writing the Star Trek movies? Um, when I was a, when I was a kid, I, this always stuck with me. There was a there was a, an advertisement for Discover magazine, and uh, and then I, it was this guy, and and he had this very dramatic voice, and he said, uh, "Imagine you could travel in a spaceship close to the speed of light." I'm, I'm listening. You know what I mean? Yeah. He goes. Uh, so when you leave, um, I I get on that spaceship. I, I go away for an hour. I come back to Earth. I'm an hour older, but I'll find that a baby is now an old man. Is that is that sort of is that is that is that Einstein uh, relativity? Yeah, yeah. Right. pure yeah. pure special relativity. You get that in relativity one on one. I'm an idiot, and so I don't. Could you please explain that to me? <laughs> I remember a bit. in seventh grade there was someone who did a project on Einstein, and we're trying to explain it, and and they didn't quite grasp it, and I had to go. I raised my hand, went up to the chalkboard, and drew it out for them. Like what Einstein's theory? Of What'd you draw? I drew a timeline along with a spaceship, and showing that the faster this person accelerated, they were moving, they were going at a certain speed, experiencing time a certain way. While on Earth, everyone was just experiencing time the same way. But what did you get going. in this class? Uh, this was social studies class. <laughs> social oh, so F. So <laughs> they were just really didn't want that. Part of it. Let's go but to anyway. the judges, uh, Dr. Tyson. But it, uh, it is a, it is a, uh, it's it's real. We know it will happen. And some people say, "How do you know? Have you done it before?" Mm-hmm. People always ask. Have, well, we have. Yeah. Not with humans, but there are particles. 
which, when left undisturbed, will decay into another species of particle in a certain amount of time. Take that same particle, accelerate it in any one of our chosen particle accelerators sure. to 99% the speed of light. Its internal clock shifts and ticks more slowly as you observe it than your clock does. The particle, So you can prolong how long it takes the particle to decay. That's what's interesting about it. But how do we it's measure internal things? Clock. How do we measure things outside of our perception? Well, they've done, you can perceive it, though. They've tested it. With like it's not clock. about perception. Is it, are, are you still the particle we started here, or have you turned into another particle? No, man, I've grown. I've moved on. Well, there it is. These particles move on, they decay, and the time it takes them to decay lengthens when we speed them up. That, and in exact... In the exact way that Einstein relativity prescribes. So it's not just some weird thing happens, we don't understand it, so we wave our hands. We've got this calculated with extremely high precision, and it happens every time. And we're, no, we're given no reason to think that if I accelerated your butt that fast, that somehow you would behave any differently from a subatomic particle. Because ultimately, we, they are the building blocks of all the things that we know. Beautifully put. <laughs> Good job, Chris. If you're comprised of the particles that they themselves are influenced by this time dilation, so too will you. But why is there no unified field theory then? Well, so that's a, that's an interesting question. It's We assume there's one to be found, don't we? I guess we do. That's kind of audacious, isn't it? Well, because we, we like simplicity. We, we are layering onto the universe our own philosophical requirements for it to behave as we wish. Sure. The universe historically has not really... Uh, obeyed us in that way. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, Kepler was sure. Uh, Kepler, the mathematician, early 1600s, a contemporary of Galileo, by the way, sure. both of whom were contemporaries of Queen Elizabeth the first. just to put all this in time context, who was, and Shakespeare. They were all running around at the same time. So, when you look at what the, uh, what he tried to do, he tried to figure out the orbits of the planets. And he said, you know, there are five Platonic solids. You know mm-hmm. these five solids. One is a. These are these are solid shapes where each side is the same polygon. Yes. So you have a tetrahedron. That's a pyramid. You have a cube. We all we all know cubes. Then there's an icosahedron, an octahedron, and a dodecahedron. Mm-hmm. There's only five. He was so enchanted by this, and he knew that there were six planets. He said, "Well, the planets are in the cosmos, and that's 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 the the majestic universe. It must it must obey this beautiful math because math is perfect. So surely these this can't be an accident that there's six planets and five platonic solids." Well, I'm thinking, now how's he going to pull out of this one, right? <laughs> so because those numbers don't match. So he said, "These five platonic solids must represent the separations among the six planets." Because they're five separations. Oh. Yeah, you see? So he spent 10 years trying to work this, sure that it was the right way, because that's how the universe must be. That's the elegant way to do the universe. He didn't know that we would later discover more planets. He didn't know that he was just barking up the wrong tree. He didn't know that planet orbits, in fact, were not perfect circles, that they're ellipses. Sure. He would later figure that out. But the point is that the history of science is replete with people trying to layer their own philosophical elegance onto... And that onto. was 10 years, 1600s. They didn't even have to shower, so they had, like, way more time. <laughs> yeah, they didn't... They, they, that, that's right. They only showered if they needed to yeah. in their life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it, it also is interesting, the idea of... Uh, and I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to get too much into this, but it always it is something that irritates me. Is just this sort of, like, this hardcore creationist idea of irreducible complexity 
where they, you know, where they say like, well, nothing can be more. I mean, like you can't, that's as simple as that thing can be. And like, yeah, if you looked at a frog a thousand years ago, you would have said that's as simple as that can be. Then you find out there's something in that. Then you find out there's something in that. Then you find out there's something there's in something, that. There's something more um, sinister than what, even what you just described. If you walk up to something and say, this is irreducibly complex, which means, of course, that there is no way this could have existed in a simpler form. And function. And function. And it contains some complexity, either in that case or in another, some complexity that we will never understand, Mm -hmm. thereby requiring some kind of intelligent force operating on it. So here's here's what's particularly – I have to use the word sinister Mm -hmm, there. mm -hmm. Not sinister. Inexcusably hubristic. It's I can't figure out how this works. Exactly. And so no one – (laughs) <laughs> no one alive today can figure out how this works. No one who will ever be born will figure out how this works. Right. Therefore, it is intelligently designed. Right. That, that is the height of hubristic thinking. It's to, to assert that because you can't figure it out, no one who will ever be born after you will be able to do so as well. I mean, I don't want to, I don't, and I don't want to spark a, I don't want uh, people, I listen, if, if people who are listening are, you know, if you're, if you're very religious and you, even if you, even if you believe in creationism, I'm, I'm fine with whatever people want to believe, but I will, but when you look at the history, re, re, science has never truthfully had to ebb its definitions because of religion. That's and, correct. And, and, and it's correct. always been the reverse. And yet, That's correct. people still say like, okay, okay, yeah, no, I know all about that. But this, this time, this has to be intelligently designed. Like, yeah, but they were saying that 500 years ago about this other thing. What do you, really? Really? Because yeah, in the end, people really just want to believe what they want to believe. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. And, they, and it's very difficult, I guess, to but bridge these two You're concepts. approaching it like it's a rational conversation, but it's not. Right. So you just get on with life. Right, and you must. And in a free to. society, we're allowed to have you know, no, there's no, there's no tablet in the sky that requires that people think rationally. There is. It's an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a very I'm a very big believer in like, hey, you know what? Whatever whatever you need to believe to feel happy and get through life, go ahead. Just don't you know, don't I, you know, to a point. That's okay. I guess. But then when you're blatantly wrong, it's just very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but some people don't mind even being wrong. They don't see the world that way. Yeah. It it is much easier. It is much easier to sort of adopt a prefab belief system, handed to you, handed to you, yes. rather than to have to investigate your own. It's much harder to actually figure it out yourself. And it's harder. It's harder to admit sometimes. Like I don't fucking know. I don't know. I don't know what this is. Right. And in science, if you can't admit you don't know, you will never make a discovery in your life. Yeah. The, uh, the scientist has to be not only comfortable with ignorance but embrace it because therein is that force that attracts you to the frontier. Where you put a foot in what is known, a foot in what is unknown, mm-hmm. and you investigate with the intent of discovery. And uh, so <laughs> you get these newspaper articles where a new science result comes out, and the lead the lead sentence is, "Science scientists will be sent back to the drawing board," and they're <laughs> they're baffled with it. I'm, if you're an active research scientist, you are always at the drawing board. You are always <laughs> baffled. That is not a new state. That is a permanent state. And so the idea that a scientist might not know something is presented as some kind of major finding right. in the newspapers. But, in fact, that's a daily finding. It just never it never stops. Yeah. The, well, I was, I was going to say, like, wrong, things that are wrong. Like, for instance, in popular culture, I was just reading Sky's Limit, your memoir, which is very good. Pick it up. Get it on Kindle or buy the real book. Or, or buy an Kindle. actual book. Okay, I got it on Kindle, yeah. yeah uh, 
Thanks for the plug. I, we, we didn't no, pre-negotiate that plug. No, no, thank no. You. We plug what we like here. We don't <laughs> plug it. things because we have to. No, we do because we like. <laughs> Unless there's a sponsor on this episode. <laughs> they, we, I, I, uh, okay. we don't know yet. Okay. Uh, uh, the sponsor is uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, but, uh, you know who the sponsor is? It's the radio show that I host that is lending me to you for this Star podcast. Star Talk. Star, I have plugged your Star, Star Talk radio. Plugged Star Talk on we have this, talked the shit out of Star Talk on, on, on the Nerdist podcast. Star Talk producers have lent me to you. They are, And I appreciate that they have. Well, you have, you know... Uh, Eugene Merman is is a is a is a pal well, of ours. These are your peeps, your comedic peeps. These are our peeps, and also let me just say, and then I'm going to let Matt yeah, nerd no. out on you some more. But but um, the, you know, I feel like uh, what you do is just this nexus of these two worlds. Is you you have a foot in both worlds. You are a legitimate uh, scientist as, as director of the Hayden Planetarium and and, and Nova Science Now and all the stuff that the stuff that you do. But also. You you kind of have a comics brain, which is which is a which is a rare. Is he complimenting me or is it insulting yes. me? Okay. It is. Yes. It's almost a dichotomy. Like it's a very interesting. Like you you live in these these two worlds where you can take these concepts, which you know. Um, I mean, listen. I, I Leon Letterman is a very funny. Is he's a funny guy, and the book is interesting, but. You know, it do, it is a it is a bit of a dry you know, and you are able to take these concepts and make them very relatable, well, which no, is so, huge. No, but so first, thanks for analogizing at least part of me to what goes on in the comedic world. I can tell you that the universe is fundamentally hilarious to me. So I'm just really <laughs> sharing the, the 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 humorous things that I notice about the universe. I don't. I'll never start a conversation. Did you hear the one about the? You know, that's <laughs> you know. So so. It's really just uh, an observation about the universe that I just think is hilarious. And I also have deep respect for the comedic arts because I think the comedians are the keepers of all that we value in culture. They understand what people care about. They understand what upsets people. They understand what makes people laugh. And there's no other profession in this world that are experts at those simultaneously those three, three things. We're also well, narcissists. I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> <laughs> We're also very self-obsessed. Uh, we suffer yeah. from anxiety. I uh, cry a lot. But, but beyond, but beyond all that, what is what is the sort of fun? Wait, wait, wait. we interrupted Matt five uh, minutes ago. But no, what I was going to say was one of the things I thoroughly enjoyed was how annoyed you were at Titanic's Night Sky. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I must announce that they're cutting a 3D version of Titanic, and there's more sky they want to add. And I got a phone call from. <laughs> From Jim Cameron's people to hand them a sky that they can use for the 3D version, which is going to come out obviously next year because that's the anniversary, the centennial of the sinking of the ship. Oh, oh, that's right, yes. 2012. Excuse me. Oh my gosh. And Fenway Park's construction. I don't care about that. I do. <laughs> so the night sinking the- of the Titanic and Fenway Park. Right. Okay. <laughs> so Fine. they. So are, are there? So the nights, the night sky in Titanic. I it was basically just a complete. Just an artist, like, poke, poke, poke. No, it, was, it was worse than that. <laughs> if it was only that, I'd say, okay, they just got, they ran out of time, they ran out of budget, but it was worse than that. Now, now I wouldn't even care, by the way, if he didn't tout the film as being historically accurate. Do you remember all of the campaigning that went on around the release of the film? He went in a submersible down to the sunken ship itself and shone light on the staterooms. <laughs> and he, he knows what the sconces and the, ch- the patterns on the dining, on the china and the silver. He had detail that none of us could actually double check. Yeah. And we just trusted that he was doing this right. I don't have a problem with that. 
but now he puts a sky over the sinking ship. We know the date, the time, the longitude, the latitude, <laughs> the weather conditions. We know where the moon was and was not on that night. There is only one sky Kate Winslet should have been looking at in her delirious <laughs> state. And she's paddling on that plank, looking up, singing something to herself. There's only one sky she should have seen, and it was the wrong sky. Not only was it, see, you got me started here. Please, Matt, continue. <laughs> I'm going to give you music bed. Hold me back. I've seen Hold me back. So, it was not only the wrong sky, the left side of the sky was a mirror reflection Wherever you are. Of the right side of the sky. So it was not only the wrong sky, it was a lazy sky. And I was livid. I said, uh, you know, would you dress Leonardo DiCaprio in tie-dyed bell-bottoms for this movie? No, because it's in 1912. You, you, have, you, you want historical accuracy because that matters to the integrity of a movie. And so, yeah, I, I was all over him. I love, but I love the thing. idea of like if if there was a planetary affliction. Well, what's wrong? Ah, I got a little bit of a lazy sky. I got to go see a doctor. <laughs> like his anger was like exactly what I felt. But it should be. It's his in profession. Tran- but in Transformers Three, I have to harp on this one more time. But you saying there's something that wasn't accurate in Transformers Three? Well, there was a lot that wasn't accurate. But of all wait, the wait, things, wait, wait, Doctor Tyson, please. I, I know what I'm you're sorry. about to say, but please, okay. you should say it. You should I, say it. I will, I will stay. No, shot. you should say it. I don't know. I, I don't here, here was the one thing that I found. Egregious. It was that they went to visit the moon, the landing of site of Apollo 11, and the ascent stage was still attached. They would not have gotten off the moon. Well, it was very. I I got so mad at that. I did. Oh, because no one would recognize just the base. That's the problem. I would have. You know what else, though? <laughs> well, because you were deriving relativity in your seventh grade class, so sure you would have. The other problem is that there's no planet-sized robots. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, they weren't planet-sized, uh, Christopher. Unicron were... was a planet-sized robot, you Unicron Matthew. wasn't in the movie. Oh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Whatever. Um, uh, when, when, when Superman came out, the, the, the original? Yeah, movie. the Richard Donner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, he did the first one, did he? Richard Donner did the first one, Okay, yeah. so I, I was in the theater with my girlfriend. And at, towards the end where Lois Lane dies and he flies backwards around the mm-hmm. planet to reverse time. Yeah. She knows, you know, I'm the astrophysicist, right? So she asked me, uh, can, can he really, is that really possible? <laughs> and I said, he's a man in blue pant- pantyhose flying. <laughs> you know, like, are you not questioning anything else in this movie but that? You know? I mean, so it's interesting how people slice and dice what it is they want to well, question. But if you could reverse the planet, wouldn't the continents just all smash into each other? What would happen is you'd first have to stop the planet. And the act of stopping the planet would have everyone at this latitude fall over and roll due east 800 miles an hour, okay? First of all, That's what I always imagine. Just, just, yeah. just start there. Start there. Now you want to accelerate the thing back again. I'm going to tuck and roll, you guys. I'm going to live. I'm tucking. I'm tucking. I'm just saying, okay? You're at 40 degrees north or south latitude. Your sideways motion as carried on Earth's rotation is about 800 miles an hour. The equator, they're going 1,000 miles an hour. You stop the rotation of the Earth, and you're not strapped down to Earth. It's the seatbelt law, by the way, writ large on Earth's plan- on a planet scale. You're not attached to the Earth. While the Earth is slowing down, you do not. You still have that speed. You'll roll over. So it would have wreaked so much havoc on the Earth. It would have killed everyone. Everyone I, to save Lois Lane. I would love to see one. I would love to see someone like re like just add something on YouTube or something where he starts spinning around and you see him going no, and there's Marlon Brando going you will never interfere with human history, and then he starts spinning, and then they cut to a wide shot of the planet, and you just see people flying out into space going fuck, <laughs> like, and then he just goes oh, and then he just leaves Earth. He just leaves Earth, and he's completely destroyed the planet. But actually, I recently tweeted that if you're on the equator, 
and you, we stopped rotating, that you would gain about a half a pound. Oh. Yeah, because the rotation, the centrifugal force of the rotation is actually trying to fling you Oh, so it's surface. keeping your weight. No, no, it's, there is a weight that is your actual weight m- minus mm-hmm. the attempt of the Earth to fling you off of it. Okay. So at the, on the equator, if you weigh 150 pounds, you're 150, 160, you'd weigh a half a pound more. 142. If, well, look, <laughs> a half a pound more. 281. Two, 281, was, okay. So you double honest. that. So you'd be like a pound less. You're twice nice. me. Oh, thank God. Oh, good. <laughs> it used to be three times. You really thanking God for that? Is that was God <laughs> responsible for this? Okay, just checking. Point. Excellent just point. Just checking your, your religious assertions there. <laughs> so Santa would stay his same weight on the, on the pole because there's no centrifugal force operating sure. on him. So that's, I just want to tell you that. It was, was, as long as we were on the subject yeah. of the rotating Earth and its effects. Yep. Now, here's something really cool. Yes. All right? Rotate the Earth faster and faster. I'm going. I'm doing it. The Equatorians. Yes. These are the new speed, the new race of people, the Equatorians. Those yep. half-pound heavier people. Yeah, the, the, oh, guys, they're the lead characters in The Ascent of the Cube. There you go! <laughs> the Equatorians in The Ascent of the Cube. The Equatorians will get lighter and lighter and lighter. And if you rotate Earth so that the equator is turning 17,000 miles an hour, yep. they will be weightless. Because at that speed, they would have ah. achieved orbit. So you can just stand there and weigh less and less and less. And the instant comes where you weigh nothing, you are in orbit around the Earth. You could that's, stop the Earth beneath your feet, and you would continue to stay in orbit just that, that That's way. what a lot of the Real Let's Housewives do are doing now to get to lose weight. Like, I'm just going to move faster to, uh, to my uh, orbital uh, speed. Yeah, so here's the problem. i got to get to my equatorial weight. People who want to lose weight, what they really want to do is lose mass. They want to lose mass, <laughs> yes. Because the mass is the material content of your Absolutely. body. Absolutely. What your scale shows changes if you're in orbit on the moon, on Mars. And flinging it back a little bit, when we discover the Higgs boson, Higgs boson we'll know exactly what it is that gives, proper, gives mass. The Higgs objects. boson is the grantor of mass to all particles. Yes. That is cool. It is really cool. And they're still looking for it. They haven't found it. The, the parameter space is shrinking on it. They'll probably find it, like, Wednesday or something. Guys, well, did you check under the pillows? Yeah, like, I know, sometimes, right? Sometimes, like, I, I sit down and shit falls out of my pockets uh, and there's stuff in the cushions. There goes the bozar. So, what, so what would be, it'd be fun if we found it, but it'd be more fun if we didn't. Because that meant all the theories that we used to tell us that it should be there have to be revisited. Okay. We'll be back to the drawing board. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Matt, uh, Matt, said, you, Matt you, you talked about, uh, you had sent me a thing, which I haven't had a chance to watch yet, which was a oh, panel. Yeah, from, uh, uh, from James Randi's, uh, the Randi Foundation, the you and Bill Nye, the panel with Phil Plythe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Phil Plythe. There's Phil no Plate. H in this. Phil, Phil Plythe, bad astronomer, who's a friend, bad friend of ours. Yeah. We follow each other. I'm, I'm good friends with Phil. He's a great guy. I know. I know. Good guy. Blogs for uh, Discover. Yeah, d- d- discussing the future of uh, NASA. Past, NASA. present, and future of NASA. Yeah. It was a panel at the um, a TAM. Ele- the Amazing TAM. Meeting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Amazing Meeting. Uh, TAM 11, I think. I put, they're counting them. Yeah. And so, and using base 10. So <laughs> 11 would not be the third one. It would be, you know. <laughs> it's the eleventh. It's yeah. he's he, uh, 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 that's. You uh, told me I could geek out. Oh, yeah, yes, doing. please. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed yeah. it. You ever, you ever hear Tom? So Laird? we have zero one one zero oh, one one. That would be three in base two. Do you ever? Do you ever hear? Do you ever hear uh, Tom Lehrer's math song? I, I heard. I know his. He's. The, did he do the element song? He did the element yeah, song. I, I don't know if I know the math song. Uh, he has a he has a song called "The New Math," mm-hmm. which um, was is genius. I, you know what? Maybe oh, I'll play it at the end of this podcast. And please uh, don't sue me, Tom Lehrer. I'll play it for you after we do the show. He's but then he does a whole thing in base eight. 
in in the song of like adding adding numbers. It would be octal. It's it's brilliant. Uh, Okay, so anyway, go ahead. The amazing meeting. Adam Savage goes to those. uh, Penn Jillette. uh, uh, Paul Provenza. It's 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 a really people. Yeah, Paul Provenza. We went to high school. Did you go to Provenza, Paul? Same. same, What? You went to Provenza High School with Provenza? No, he's. I'm a little older than he is, but he, he came after I did. You should do the green same, room. Same if he school. does more episodes of the green room, you should do it. I think I was in the green room. You were? I think they brought the green room to that conference. Did he, did he take oh, one there? Oh, they might have, yeah. Oh, right, well, he, he was did. sitting next to me for the recording. Okay, good. Would that have been the green room? That probably would have been the okay, green room. Okay, yeah, he was uh, there. That, That's a relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so go go ahead, Matthew. I know, but you were discussing the uh, past, present, and future of NASA. Oh, on the panel, yes, yeah. yes. And uh, that's a very interesting subject to me. I went to the last shuttle launch. The, the STS-135. STS-135. Uh which I didn't I, – when it went up, I didn't expect it, but I cried because that you was teared. sort of the end. Can I tell you why you teared? Yes. Even if you don't understand it yourself? Please. Go ahead. I'm going to tell you. You listening? Yes. Okay. Because I wrote a whole book on this. It's coming out in February, February oh, 27th. What's get, that actually. called? What's it called? Well, I'll tell you what I was – what it was called and then the publisher said it was too depressing and I had to change it. <laughs> the title of the book as I wrote it was Failure to Launch. The Dreams and Delusions of Space Enthusiasts. That's a compelling title to me. Published, that's too depressing. It's got the word failure in it. No one will buy it. So we had to change the title. Happy Space Time? Okay. <laughs> it was, it's called Space Chronicles. I'd buy both of those. Happy Space Time and Failure. <laughs> Here is why you teared. You teared. And I, by the way, I tweeted that entire. No, I was watching. While was, the shuttle is loading up. into, I'm all in it. Yeah. Okay. You cried. Not because it was the last shuttle, but because there was not another spacecraft to replace it in the adjacent launch pad. Did you cry? Would you have cried during the ending of the Gemini program? No. Knowing that the mighty Saturn V was sitting adjacent to it, ready to take us to the moon? Your tear is not the ending of the shuttle missions. It is the lament that there is nothing to replace it to continue our dreams into the future. And that was extraordinarily depressing, especially when we were, because we, I was at Just the, so clarify, yeah. you're depressed not for the end of the shuttle, but nothing's next to it. There's Just nothing ready to go. admit that to yourself. There's nothing ready to go. Fine. There's nothing ready to there go. There it is. They had mock-ups of the Orion. Yeah. It's not built. Yeah. What do you think about... It might the, not ever get built. What do, what do you think about all this going into the private sector, like the... It's uh, not all going into the private sector. This is all in the book, by the way. You should invite me back. We'll talk about the book. You can come back every day every- if you want. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I would be happy this is to my first Jonah. This, you've, been on, you've been doing this stuff for 20 years, and this is my first invitation I ever got from you. I, so, <laughs> oh, we've tried. You know, well, at least I've tried. Okay. On deaf I've, ears. I've tweeted at you before, but you have so many followers. You, 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 tweeted at me. You, you have to tweet to me, not at me. I, but I at replied well, you. I'm oh, sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wasn't able to uh, direct message you yeah, um, right. until, until you follow at Nerdist. All right, I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't or know. at Matt Myra. I mean, whatever. It's just like, no. He can't follow both of us. I'm sorry. Uh, no, actually, right. he can't. Not fair. Yeah, fair. Choose between you. And yeah. I'll, then I'll, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the private sector will never lead any kind of frontier of discovery. It has never done in the history of our species because when you advance a frontier, which by definition is going where no one has gone before, it costs you things that cannot be valued in the capital markets. The risks are too high. So, for example, the Dutch East India Trading Company, Mm -hmm. which was trading all around the world, they were not the first to go from Europe to America. Mm -hmm. That was Columbus. These were government monies that took those risks, that put the – that 
had motivation that was not specific, in their case, not specifically economic. In fact, it was hegemonistic. Ooh, love that word. <laughs> but didn't the Vikings originally privatize? That's uh, what the, apparently, but they had no real significant lasting effect. They sure. didn't bring syphilis back to Nor did Europe. they write it down. No, so right. we didn't get that. Exactly. So it's the first one that mattered sure, was Columbus, sure, sure. basically. So the nations engage in discovery. They map the, ch- they, they create the charts. They map the paths. They patent the new discoveries, the, the new uh, technologies necessary to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. When it becomes routine, then it cedes to private enterprise and then they take over. Okay. That's how it has always been. So private enterprise will not be the first on Mars. It'll be some country, if not America, China. perhaps China. Thank you. Uh, the next back to the moon, it will not be private China. enterprise. Private, private enterprise will go to low Earth orbit where we've been. The patents have been awarded. And if they can get that nice and cheap, NASA should set anything they need to access low Earth orbit by that route. But don't you think that the idea of <laughs> even the idea of countries are when you think that Facebook has 750 million users and Apple has more money Space than Facebook? Facebook. Facebook. Okay. Facebook. I'm that. Where, that, where is that? I'll friend you on Facebook. That's the uh, no no no. That's the that's the enterprise social network. <laughs> that's where they all Oh Spock, why are you why did you Wesley, block why me? Why are you friending no, me no, on no, Facebook? Wait. Spock blocked me again. While we I are, got I got Spock blocked. While we're inventing vocabulary, Facebook is the social network in the ascent of the cube. It is okay. yeah. Yes, oh, where the Equatorians word. are trying to exactly. uh, uh, break to orbit. lose weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to lose weight. That's how they made movies in the 50s. Oh my god! <laughs> so, but when you consider that Facebook, yeah, that was a Corman film oh we god. just made. When you consider that Facebook has 750 million users and Apple has more money than the government, why? But how? Why couldn't they? Oh, fit? they could. They could. They just wouldn't make money on it. Oh, okay. Right. They could. They have enough money. But uh, if you want to call it a business. The premise is that at the end of the day, there's a return on the investment, an ROI. There is no ROI when you are breaking a frontier. What are some of the weirdest experiments that you know of that have been done on the in space that that people that a lot of people don't know about? They must have tried everything in in space. Uh, There's some fun ones. Like, does does a fish know which way is up when it's sitting a blob of water? Uh, What happens to a, a spider when it spins a web? Does it think about gravity? It turns out many small creatures. Gravity is an almost insignificant thing to them. That's why, you know, they're insects and just crawl up your wall and crawl on the ceiling. Right. Gravity is just kind of this incidental force that is just more of an annoyance than anything that they actually have to deal with. You look at microbes that thrive inside of pond scum mm-hmm. or droplets of water. They don't care about gravity. Whole other worlds of forces are operating that matter more to them than gravity. So we talk about let's go into zero G and see what's different. There's whole swaths of the animal and plant kingdom that couldn't care rat's tail about what about the fact that they were in orbit. Some of this was captured in the film A Bug's Life, the bar scene. In the bar scene, they did not use the bugs, right? Yeah. And so, so they actually are little things. They did not use a cup to give the guy the Bloody Mary. Okay, uh, the, the the mosquito. The guy, they just brought some blood. I forgot how it was water they added blood to, but it was a blob of water, and they relied on surface tension to keep the shape of the water oh, right. in front of him at the bar stool. That's pretty genius. It's genius. It's it is. Let us put some actual laws of chemistry and physics in a bug's life, and 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 exploit it to the benefit of the comedy of the show. But well, surely, Pixar, what can't you do? Sorry to take it blue, but sh- certainly people have masturbated in space or tried to get pregnant in space or so, like haven't they done exper- experiments to see if we can procreate? In, I'm not. Uh, on- I'm not authorized to. Oh, damn it! <laughs> that means yes. Actually, speaking of. Uh, I'm not programmed to respond in that If you have to go there, uh, if you're actually in space, any part of you that is ejected from your physical body, the rest of your body will recoil. (laughs) 
consider that. Okay. I'm just that's Newton's law of motion. Right Sorry, there. sweetheart. I got I got a wicked kick. <laughs> okay. I got, so you want to We got to do this up against the wall because I want to. And most acts of sex would require straps because you'd be bouncing off the walls in zero g. Mm-hmm. Um, but but do, would would there be enough? See, I'm trying to keep you guys a little higher than you than where you normally fall. And we're trying to drag you down, <laughs> so we have this perfect this perfect balance. It's a tension that resolves. <laughs> but with 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 uh, bone density loss, and to, like, could, could people cro- procreate in in space, or would would it would it make a pregnancy? Too? Did we need? Is there anything that about gravity that that pregnancy needs? There's no known. There's no known. There's nothing known that would prevent. Mm-hmm. A woman from either getting pregnant, going to term, and actually giving birth. In fact, the movement of the sperm up the fallopian tube is not gravitational. Right. I mean, you can get pregnant standing up. Okay. It's all muscle contractions and things. And so birth is a sequence of muscle, muscle contractions. You can give birth upside down. It's just less comfortable. Sure. Upside down on earth. So yeah. you can give birth upside down and right side up on earth. You can give birth in zero G. One of the big questions before we first went into orbit was, can you swallow in space? Oh, wow. Little basic yeah, they didn't functions. Know your organs would work. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. And so, but they could have probably reasoned that out because you can swallow upside down. Mm-hmm. That's why you see these beer drinking contests where the guy drinks a beer upside down, balancing on his head. If you can dr- drink upside down and right side up, then with zero G, there's no... Those are the two opposites of gravity operating on you. So you ought to be able to do it in the middle. There's something called a mean value theorem okay. in math that allows the middle to always be there if the two extremes are working for you. Um, this uh, this was something that I actually didn't didn't know, uh, and I was disappointed in myself for not knowing this until a couple years. No, wait years. for it. We'll be disappointed in you. Go you on. can be. Please okay. disappoint me. Was not understanding. I was like, wait a minute. So, you know, we're all, all the, you know, we, we have these uh, eight and a half planets orbiting the sun. Eight. Eight. eight planets orbiting the sun. Pluto is not even a half a planet. It's not okay. a dwarf planet. I know. Right. I know you're a big. Yeah, I say, yes, I know. It's in the Kuiperville. Come on. Do you know? The, do you know the moon is five times the mass of Pluto? I mean, just get over it. Okay. <laughs> it's an ice block, right? It's basically it's a chunk of ice. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's happier now, right? Because it's it's a dwarf planet reigning king among other dwarf planets, right? And so it's got to be a happier situation. Like, like in a Breakfast Club, where Anthony Michael Hall says, "Yeah, I'm kind of like king of the dipshits." Like yeah. that's that's Pluto. Uh, but I never knew. I, I never. I never knew. Like, wait, did you all, actually say that in the Breakfast Club? In the Breakfast Club, and I'm not the Breakfast Club. Sixteen Candles. Oh, I'm sixteen, sorry. Right, sixteen I, Candles. I remember the Breakfast Club. I'm sorry. I, I, I Plus, Anthony John Michael Hall wasn't in. He was. He was uh, in both of them. Was he the nerd kid? He was the nerd kid okay. in both of them. That was Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony oh, yeah, of Michael Hall. Of course. Did you see the license plate that is of the car that his father drove to pick him up in? No. It said equals MC squared. Oh, that's How's awesome. that for trivia? That's, that is good trivia. Geek trivia. Nice. In the breakfast club. Nice. The geek kid who in the, was in the physics club, that meant yeah. his, his parents are physics folks as well. Yes, and they wanted to hammer that home, so and they put that. Is. And, you, and the, it's a low camera angle when he gets in the car as they all scatter to, their, to the winds yep. at the end of the program. As and Simple Minds plays everyone out. As simple, mm-hmm. I love Simple Minds. And then the, the, the plate goes by. And yeah. You get to see it. Glittering Prize, Greatest Hits of the great, Simple Minds, great album. Mm. Great album, mm-hmm. by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't. I had to ask someone. So, oh, I asked someone at the uh, Flandreau Science Center. This is where we're going to be disappointed in you. Yes, you're yes. about to be disappointed, and I apologize. I asked someone. I went to the Flandreau Science Center uh, in Arizona. It's a little, a little tiny observatory there. Uh, are all the planets on the same plane? Like, are some planets and that, that we would perceive are, are higher than others, or are they all? Is it sort of like on one like horizontal plane that orbits uh, the sun? That's what I. That's what I had never really thought about what? before. So, so what are you embarrassed by? Well, because I just felt like it's an, it was an obvious question. 
So, and did you get an answer? I did get an answer. So then I don't understand what your problem is. Well, I, I just, I felt like I should have known that. There and no I, stupid questions. Oh, 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 so the issue is not that the question was stupid, but that you should have known it long ago. I felt like that, is, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty basic question. Yeah, that, that's the first week of Astro 101. Yeah. Yeah, so you failed that one. God. Yeah, yeah, so the planets are all approximately in the same plane. The, the most tipped out of the plane is Pluto, mm-hmm. 17 degrees out. And that's what a, a jerk. It's such a, it's such a loser. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's not even, that's not just the, the scratching the surface of its antisocial behavior. It crosses the orbit of Neptune. It, 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 Pick it, up the Pluto files while you're buying oh, those other books. Oh, thank you. Please. Uh, well, as long that's as great. we're, and I know that's on Kindle, by the way, the yes, Pluto files. Thanks for the, the second, your second plug for me of the day. And so, so Pluto's tipped 17 degrees out. Next one that's most tipped is uh, Mercury. Okay. It's tipped, uh, what is that about? Is it Mercury or, or, or uh, damn, well, I'm embarrassed now. Whoa. I think it's Tatooine. Oh, that one. <laughs> Planet Vulcan, that's the one that's It tipped. was Alderaan. Yeah. But here's the thing. So they're all approximately the same plane, and they're all moving in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And that point did not go unremarked upon by scientists of the past, mm-hmm. which is what led to what was called the nebular hypothesis, that the solar system was not just a star that captured planets. Because you were capturing them randomly, some would go in one direction, others would go in other directions. Mm-hmm. Some would orbit top to bottom rather than all in a disk. Sure. So since they're all in a disk and in the same direction, then that tells you that they must have something common about their origin. And the nebular hypothesis is that the whole solar system was a big gas cloud that all rotated coherently. Mm-hmm. The center formed the sun and all the planets distributed themselves out to the edges of where you had gas available. And there's nothing that is exactly in the same position on the opposite side of the sun orbiting at the same speed. You mean like Journey to the Far Side of the Sun, that movie? You, there was a movie. Oh, uh, yes. Yes, yeah, a little before your time, yes, I think. Yes, I'll say oh, yes, even though I don't movie, know There's a movie, Journey it. to the Far Side of the Sun. So they launch from Earth, mm-hmm. and half the mission length later, they come back to Earth. And they say, did you abort the mission? What's, what's up? Turns out. They found another planet that orbited exactly opposite Earth across from the sun and had all the same people there. Everything was was the same except left was right and right was left. What the? That was. A mirror world. It was a mirror world. Oh, my God. Mirror world. Now, here's one thing that was not a mirror world. The guy goes home. One of the astronauts goes home, kisses his wife. Mm -hmm. The wife knew. This is not my man. Uh-oh. Looks like him, you know, walks like him, talks like him. So there must be some left-right thing going on in their tongue. She was cheating on the guy <laughs> with the guy from the mirror world. <laughs> Funny. So the, 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 the punchline, you know, spoiler alert here, how do you – they figure this out. It takes them a while. Each planet is figuring it out. And they fig, to launch them, they have to know whether the polarity is also switched because that affects the launch code. Yep. Okay. And so they take a guess that the polarity is not switched, even though left right is, and they were correct. And that's that's a wise move because very polarity. very wow. sciencey reasoning for a movie. Very, especially for a first run movie. That was not some indie movie. That was a first run movie. How do I I miss this? How long? How old is this movie? Because right, you can take a magnet, you can take a bar magnet and put it in the mirror. Yep. North is still north, and south is still south, but left right is switched. So yep. they they thought that one through. It's from the, I think sixty nine. Okay. Okay. Sixty seven around there. Now, I'm curious. What do you do? What is what is an average day for you? Uh, consist of you know like when you're not doing Star Talk or you're not right. Like what what is it? What is an average? Scientist day for you. The standard deviation on my activities is so large that to speak of an average would be meaningless. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> how do you how do you conduct astrophysics? What did you do on what did you do on Monday? <laughs> so uh, so so what I'll do is I'll I'll tell you the kinds of things that happens to me in a month. Okay. Okay. 
In a month, I'll give several lectures mm-hmm. across the country, around the world. I do Star Talk Radio. Uh, that's a weekly uh, radio program. Which also, everyone should subscribe all, to. Also, also podcast. And if I can uh, give a cheap plug, StarTalkRadio.net. Star that is dot not net. a cheap plug. Dot net, everybody. You got it. StarTalkRadio.net. All one word. And I also... Um, I also care about my Twitter following. Yes, I, they care about what I share with them, and so I take uh, it's a it's an it's a responsibility mm-hmm. that I've taken on. He doesn't waste tweets. I've noticed this. Yeah, thank this you. Man. You're right. He does thank, not waste see, them. He pays attention to me. You, you you pretend like you pay attention. He he knows what I was doing when I was nine. He's stalking you. <laughs> okay. I like you a I lot. I just read and absorb. Matt okay. wants to cut you open and live in your skin. Okay, so we just gotta get to that. Just I don't know when this will post, but just yesterday I I went a little overboard with my tweets. I got on a periodic table of elements kick. Okay. Because yesterday was announced, just announced, that a new element was officially named after Nikolai Copernicus. Okay. Copernicium. All right. And I was just so jazzed by that. I said, Let, let's just spend a day celebrating the periodic table. So I had like a dozen tweets just just totally rocking the periodic table. <laughs> and so, uh, so some part of my day thinks about – uh, the tweets that I give and uh, what my presence on Facebook. So there's some social media sure. in there. I'm also I'm running the programs of the Hayden Planetarium, mm-hmm. although I'm on a kind of a sabbatical now because I have other activities, one of which was rising up in my life's priorities is we are making the 21st century version of Carl Sagan's Cosmos. I read that. Whoa. Yes. I read that you were yes. doing that. that yes. And you, act, and you knew, you knew Dr. It doesn't Dr. count Dr. if you tell me that after I already told you. <laughs> Because then I'd have no evidence that you actually read it. I was not aware of that. I would have plugged that. Yeah, okay. So that's what I thought. If you'd actually read it in advance, you would would have led with that. So uh, I'm teaming up with two of the original three creative principles Mm -hmm. of the original Cosmos. And we're making 13 episodes. And we're we're going to air on Fox 2013. What? On Fox. Fox. I don't believe you. I, it's totally true. On Fox? On, did, did the American Idol Network? No, the American Idol Network. The Fox News Network. No, the, I, but I, I did know this, and I was going to talk to this about your relationship to, to, to Dr. Sagan, because yeah. I, I know, it's isn't it called, like, Cosmos, a personal voyage? Or His a, was a personal voyage. My, Cosmos, a space-time a journey. space-time journey. Yeah. Okay. okay. STJ. <laughs> oh, my God. You no, totally should. We gotta, we're, we're working on how, how we'll shorten that, but yeah, that's, that's the operating title right now. Did you ever hear that Symphony of Science song? Oh, there's tons of them. There's several. Yeah. There's, there's, there's like at least a half a dozen. Yeah, the glorious dawn. Yeah, oh the, yeah, the great. And I'm in a few of them, so I'm, I'm honored that the the creativity of the musicians thought to include me. What's what? So what is what is your goal with? Oh, well, your, there's more that I do. So no, no, I, 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 I uh, when the universe flinches, I get phone calls mm-hmm. from the press. They need a sound bite, and the universe is flinching like weekly lately. All right, in a couple of days, we're gonna get a buzz cut from an asteroid that'll come between us and the moon. Whoa. It is 400 meters across. If this hit, it'd be a bad day on that sector of the Earth. But we're okay for now. And But it will hit us one day. And so you want to keep an eye on these things. That's, so they're, they're, I'm getting calls to comment on that. There's, uh, so there's always something going on. And so I, I, I try to stay off the streets by, in, in so doing. <laughs> and I'm also writing. You know, I, that's my, one of my favorite activities is writing. And I have a, a small part of me that's still doing active research, but I want to grow that fraction again when most of this is off my table, most of the rest of the, the public stuff. What's your, what's your underlying goal? And the reason that I, that I ask this is because— My goal uh, to, to move to a desert island with internet and never have to leave it. <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah. What? It's unrealistic, but that's— Richard Branson did it. 
He but, has an island. Yeah, he, he bought the island. Yeah, you could yeah, buy I'm an island. I'm moving to an island, but yeah, sure, I'll buy an island. <laughs> That's all you need. Maybe we, maybe we can do yeah, that. Yeah, I just, I, I'm a servant of the public's interest in the universe. I don't actually seek it out. About People don't know this. About 15% of the time you see me on Colbert or Daily Show, about 15% of those times, it's because I have like a book and the marketing people want to hawk the book. Sure. The other 85% of the time, it's because the universe flinched and they want a soundbite. And so in that capacity, I'm a servant of the public appetite of the universe. I don't get big-headed about it. I'm happy to be able to serve that role. But when I wake up in the morning, I'm not saying, what new media outlet can I exploit today? That is not going through my head. I meant more along the lines of like— of I'd rather like, just stay home and play with my kids. Of educating people or trying to stamp out ignorance or really trying to, to enlighten people as what, far as science. When I am called, I'm happy to serve that role. Yeah. I'd still rather just stay home with my kids. And I'm a late breeder. So uh, my daughter's fifteen. My uh-huh. son is ten. Oh, she's a she's a big Doctor Who fan. By and the way. she is right to be so. Total Whovian. Yes. One one week. She she uh, <laughs> when when she finally got bitten. Yep. She downloaded seventy nine episodes Sweet. of Doctor Who. Sounds like someone and got the bill. Spent an entire week watching them. Excellent. She, she did not leave her computer that weekend. After that, she emerged. Wow. A Dalek hater. She, <laughs> okay, she was... <laughs> everything I know about Doctor Who comes through her tutelage. She so sounds really know. cool. What's your daughter's and name? she's a fan of yours. And I, I got up to notch oh by, by telling her that I'd be on your show. What is her, what's her name? I'm, I can't tell. Okay. Sure. Did, uh, she, did she watch our special? It aired right after Doctor Who. She probably saw it. Right, so. I, I didn't think to ask her if she watched the special. I just want but. to say to your daughter that uh, uh, stay in the Whovian universe. Uh, you are awesome, and thank you so much uh, for being for being cool. Um, my, I guess all uh, you know. I we, we have to wrap it up here in a minute because uh, we're gonna actually we're gonna do Star Talk, which I'm I'm thoroughly. Thank you. We about. got you right after this to um, be be my co-host on Star Talk. Oh yeah. my god, that's so huge. We're gonna talk about time. I'm excited to Excellent. talk about time. It's gonna be weird for me because I I'm gonna. It's like I'm losing one that I usually get on a Sunday. It's like, <laughs> Now it's happening now. <laughs> yeah, sorry you have I'll to see it live, happens. you yeah. ungrateful jerk. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, people can find you uh, at uh, on StarTalk, uh, StarTalkRadio.net. Yeah, that's how you listen to all the back episodes. You have some fun guests in the pa- of the past, including some sort of A-listers. Like we had Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. We had – and I asked him, you know – Say something in that voice. <laughs> and he said, hello, Dr. Tyson. <laughs> it was like, I felt like slapping him. I said, Morgan, you're live. Give me that voice. He probably, that, he probably, he probably gets that all the time. People are like, do the penguin's voice. Do, that, do the narration thing that you do. <laughs> yeah, so. Tell me how Andy escaped from Shawshank. <laughs> <laughs> how he climbed through all kinds of filth I can't even imagine. Um, you're also at Neil Tyson on Twitter. At Neil Tyson on Twitter. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, of course. And, and I, don't, I don't tweet what I had for breakfast unless I'm giving you the count of quarks in sure. the breakfast cereal. It, uh, it's, prime, it's not where I am and what I'm doing. It's just thoughts that I have in any given day that merge sort of what the world looks like through the lens of a scientist and how I might express that through the lens of an educator. And, and, you, and, a, and a human. There's a humanity to what you do. I'll give you an example. One tweet that got heavily retweeted. I might re- put it out again because it was back in, from the old days, sure. like a year ago. Yep. <laughs> it was, I was driving down the street and I saw the stoplight and I said, hmm, I wonder if we had copper in our blood to carry our oxygen rather than iron, mm-hmm. then our blood would be green. And if that were the case, what color would the stoplight be? Oh. It's red because it's blood. We fear blood. Right. That's danger. It's a danger color. If your blood is green, then green is danger, but then so too are plants. 
So I was just wondering what kind of dilemma we would have confronted if that were the case. This sort of this sort of uh, That's this, a, it's a thought I, I didn't I didn't invent that for the tweet. That's just a thought I'm having. And so I said it would be a waste if I just kept this bottled between <laughs> my ears. So I said, let me share this with the Twitterverse. And that's what the that's what my tweets are. They're shared shared outlooks on our on our place in the universe. Is that is that, is there some sort of a is there some sort of a butterfly effect uh, uh, cause and effect thing that happens with that where you change you change one thing and then everything else in the world? It could happen because every red light that now means danger wouldn't mean danger. We just wouldn't know what to make of the color. The color would have no emotional. Oh, meaning that to light's us. all bloody. I don't know. It's, it's tell me. It's tell me to bleed. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what's, what's, what's No, there could be other creatures with red blood that just wouldn't be us. Like Spock has green blood. Spock has green Star blood. He sure does. Yep. And crustaceans have green blood. They have copper based. Uh, uh, hemoglobin. That'd be so cool. What to cut open a crustacean? No, to have copper blood. Um, I, I, I do. Uh, I, it I turns want... out it's not as efficient transporting oxygen, so we're better with our iron blood. All right, I'll stick with the right, iron. Oh, plus, oh, you want to? Oh, I like when you. If you propagate that back through, Mars would have never been the god of war. The planet Mars would not represent the god of. Oh, because it's not red. red. Would have been red. red. Yeah, it's red. And it's, it's just red. I had an idea for a show oh, once that mind. I pitched yeah. to PBS, and they didn't want to go for it, but it, it was called uh, "Fe Chef Iron Chef." Uh, oh. Okay. And, uh, and, and it was like basically like you take a couple scientists or, or 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 science teachers, you give them the same handful of elements, and then they just have to make stuff Makes, with them. That's great. They didn't. TBS didn't pick it up. Nah, they yawned by the time I finished the sentence. You could have called me up. I would. We're we gonna make, we'll make that work. I, will, I want to be your first chef. <laughs> please, please. I will so blow some stuff up. I'll ho- I'll host it. I'll <laughs> host it all dramatic style. And let me go a little more geek on you. If you take a a a pattern of six. Iron atoms, mm-hmm. Fe, and you connect them in in your sort of uh, lozenge diagram. Mm-hmm. Lozenge diagram, you remember from chemistry? Yes. You know, okay. So Fe, Fe, Fe. Mm-hmm. So you say, well, what is that? It's a Ferris wheel. Oh, that's awesome! Oh. A little bit of geek humor for you there. I knew, I knew someone who had like an orange, uh, like a tabby cat, and the cat was orange, and he called him Ferris. F-E-R-R-O-U. Oh, that's cute! Right? right? And it was like, like Ferris, like Ferris Bueller. No, no, Ferris, no. like Iron. Yeah, um, there was a Ferris before a Ferris Bueller. There was, yeah, yeah, yeah. a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't believe you guys. My last question for you is, has there been anything that has happened uh, since you have been a scientist, when they, I mean, obviously when they come to you when the universe flinches, where you've said... But by the way, they come to others as well. It's just that I happen to live in New York. Sure. Where the major news gathering headquarters sure. are. Sure, And so I'm a cheap date for the media. <laughs> That's all. I don't, like I said, I don't get big-headed about this. I'm just a servant. Okay. You do have a... Is it a comet named after you or... I have an asteroid. You have an asteroid named yeah, after you. It's not headed towards Earth. I, I double, Before I accepted the honor, I double-checked to see Good. whether it was headed what towards Earth. What is it? 13, 5, 22, something like that. 132, 13123? Exactly. 13123 Tyson. Yeah. 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 See? I know shit. <laughs> I read it. Um, I forgot it. It's a main belt asteroid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But has there been anything that has happened where you have actually gone, oh, shit, this might actually not be good for all of us, or is everything ultimate? And you want me to tell you that now? Oh, no, I guess not. Huh? Yeah, I so, do. Yeah. Yeah, here's one. Apophis is on its way. It's a 300-meter cl- class asteroid, and it's got a collision course with Earth. It will come in 2029 close enough to Earth to dip not simply inside of the moon's orbit. That's nothing. Sure. It'll come closer than Earth's orbiting communication satellites. Talk about a buzz cut. There's a buzz cut if there ever was one. We will only know then, unless we can tag its ear in LoJack style before then, to know exactly where it is in its orbit. Right now, we kind of know where it is in its orbit. And because we only kind of know where it is in its orbit, we can't tell you what it will do 
next after that. Okay. The uncertainty is too high. And in that uncertainty includes the possibility of Apophis, named for the Egyptian god of death and darkness. Okay. Apophis hitting Earth. And if it hit er, hits, hits Earth, it'll hit us uh, in 2036 on April 13th. By the way, April 13th, 2029 is a Friday. Oh! Just to, just to put that in, in context. That's the main one in the Ascent of the Cube. Uh, <laughs> which were Apophis is the main guy. In, in the there it is. The Sent to the cube with the uh, Equatorians. Equatorians. Going to be yeah. a good one, you guys. Um, yeah. Now I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a passing. Like, but then no. we were okay. Oh, it's all going to be fine, everyone. <laughs> That's who's who's even going to remember by then. Uh, but anyway, thank you so much, uh, uh, Dr. Tyson. It was a pleasure to have you on. Happy, I'm very excited and, and don't to do be Star such Talk. a stranger. I'm here for you. I won't. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. Thank you. We'll, we will hug it out. Thanks, uh, Matt. Thanks. All right. <laughs> Enjoy your space burrito, everyone. Oh, nice. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This space-tastic episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Automatic, continual, and unlimited backup for your computer files. Only 59 bucks a year. Try it free at Carbonite.com. Use the offer code NERDIST.